0: So again I've, I've got uh dr grace peng who's with me and agreed to do um part two of the uh of the interview um just to recap how many years you've been in practice now grace
1: ah uh, like
0: eight hmm. eight years mm-hmm. and you are now on your own
1: i am so it's now been six months a little exactly. over six months
0: yeah and it's been well, very
1: very exciting
0: has it i you know the last time i talked to you which is about eight or nine months ago i think it was december of 22 or maybe early january or something you were i was surprised um that you didn't seem like nervous or worried or because most people who are going out on their own now you have an eight-year track record um you have name brand recognition in beverly hills and in in the area that you live in california So it's not like you're just going out and throwing up a shingle, right? But it's still- (laughs) Yeah, but there's, but it's still daunting. You've got employee manuals and HIPAA and OSHA and labor department compliance and all those sorts of things. So, um, you know, and and there's- That's all been
1: a learning curve. That's that's all been a learning curve. curve.
0: And that's not- I remember
1: like the first week it's like, oh wait, I have to run payroll. Like it's me, like if it's not run, (laughs) <laughs> because I didn't do it, you know? Yeah. And so all those things, but it's kind of fun in the sense that even if you've never done it before, yeah. it's not like you can't learn it. So
0: no, it's not that, good. Listen, you, you know, we go to medical school, we can figure this stuff out. It, But I, the big thing that I found that most physicians uh because they, they, they they've gone through all this other stuff, they think, well, it's just not a big deal, but it, but it, running a business is hard. I, I found it's, it's I find it's still harder than anything I do, you know um, depending on the, the managers and leaders that we have in different positions and that sorts of thing. but um, so I mean how you feel? like you're, you're good move, good move, right?
1: I think it was the right move. It was the right time and it was time to fly. Yeah. And so it's something I've always wanted to try and the timing was just right. So, yeah. um, so I was lucky. I was yeah. lucky that everything sort of lined up well and, you know, it's I mean, still your, very, family, fun.
0: your family situa- situations, uh, you know, better than probably when you, if we first started, right? Because.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. Right. Now you have, do you have one or two little ones?
1: One, one. How old? Yeah. 18 months.
0: Hey, oh, wow. <laughs>
1: um,
0: watching videos of my grandson because my, uh, my wife was with him, as you know, you know, my son-in-law Dan yes, and,
1: and
0: yes. He joined us. So that was really pretty. Yeah,
1: congratulations. But, um, I saw yeah. all of his like little interviews and you know, his posts.
0: Yeah. We're excited. He had, a, today he did a rhinophyma and, uh, you know, it was a, you know, it was a cosmetic patient. So he was excited about that. And, but he's, he's getting busy, you know, um, um, it's, it, and he's just, man, he's, he's, he's awesome. So, uh, I'm, I'm blessed privilege to have my, you know, family stay by and, but who would have ever thought that I'd have a son-in-law and, uh, anyway, so, and, and interested in, we got a great team. So, um, now I'm at the other end of things, you know, building, building. <laughs> so what, what's been your biggest challenge with, uh, you know, would you say with, cause first of all, as you know, in any business, number one is you got to run payroll. You can't, you know, keep yeah. need knee yeah. deep, right? Well, yep. what's been your biggest uh, biggest challenge? Um, say,
1: you know, yeah. honestly, I probably just the nitty gritty details of running a business,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's not even so much a challenge as I just need to know. So I need to have resources. I need to just know what is expected and what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I am pretty lucky in the sense that, from a surgical medical uh, procedural standpoint, I feel very comfortable. So that okay. has been stable. And so the only things I've had to work on are, you know, learning to run a new small business. Um, yeah. and there's I mean, there's people out there who've done this. And so it's been very, very nice, you know, both through the academy and just other friends that aren't even involved in medicine, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, have really helped me figure out how to run a business. And so I mean, running you- the business part is probably the part that's the challenge. But it's been
0: yeah, it's, it's it's fun. I mean, to me, the, the best part of that is being able to see my decisions play themselves out. Um, yes. You know, take, yes. risk, <clears throat> take risk. And, um, you know, sometimes your, ch- your decisions aren't always smart ones financially, but at least you grow up pretty quickly when you're doing those things, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It's been fun, though. I feel like maybe for me, it's been a long time coming. And so the fact that I finally got to try my hand and you know get my feet wet, it's yeah. been great.
0: Yeah. What were some things that were unexpected? Like you didn't expect this.
1: Um honestly, maybe I overprepared like I do with everything else in medicine yeah, and surgery. That. <laughs> and so I don't know that I was surprised by anything. I don't okay. know that I was surprised by anything, but you're absolutely correct. The basic things like payroll, running it on time so that it gets paid on time, um, were all things that I feel like it was like a whole new set of things that oh. I had to learn and do.
0: You know, I, I look back at some of them. I mean, we didn't take lunch. I mean, I look back on I me mean, now, you know, lunch is, you know, We'll take lunch and they go to lunch and whatever but back in the day i just what do you mean you don't work through lunch it's like yeah yeah i'm just being a so, resident
1: see but i learned some of those things even from being in another office like everyone takes lunch and i was like no i can i can do zooms during lunch i, I could see some post-ops don't worry just set the rooms up and no you can't really because no, you, can't. you know there's no one to room your patients or no one to help clean just, them or no one to yeah, help I things just, so but those I, were already like inculcated in me um a lot of things and so i felt like it was just my turn to kind of make it the way i wanted it to be
0: do you have to fire anyone yet
1: no no but i i know that that will be tough for me
0: yeah i mean so one of my one-liners is you can only you know grow a business as fast as your ability to ability to attract train um and uh you know Hold the very best people accountable right and yes. in a respectful way and that's always you know it's not a lot of fun but um getting some leadership guidance training whatever because it is very important not to be too nice yes. right? yeah not that i'm not too nice it's just that i think in my early years i Um, for a lot of reasons, because you create an unfair situation. And so 70% of people leave a job over frustration and 70% of people leave their boss. They don't leave their job. And so when you understand all those things, when you create an unfair situation, a good person will leave over that because they're wise. So that is, to me, has always been the hardest part, having the uncomfortable conversations and making the time to do that. And that's not fun because most of us would rather just be doing surgery.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Um, You know, I've grown thicker skin over the years. Well, I'm sure you have.
0: (laughs) I knew knew where you came from. (laughs) You have to get thick skin. So, you
1: know, I think my main goal um, with personnel and staff is to really create someone that's like a family. And so I really want people that I'll watch them grow, whether it's uh, through positions in my office or whether they go outside for higher education, for other jobs, leave me. Um, but I really want to create a culture that makes people want to care for our patients, root for me, root for all of us together. And so that's something that was very important to me. And so everyone um, so far I've carefully picked is truly someone that I feel like cares for my patients, cares for what I find is important. And so we'll go from there. But Definitely have had a few difficult conversations already and tried my hand at that. And, you know, once you do a few, um, you get used to it. And I think it's been, I think it's been a good growth process for me.
0: Mm. Yeah. It, 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 um, no doubt is a good growth process. Um, it's actually quite liberating to, to have those conversations because, uh, rather than just let it stew.
1: Yep. yeah, because you know I care about it, and yeah. so if I don't say something, it's just still gonna bother me.
0: You're gonna lose sleep over. It. You're gonna think about it when you wake up first thing in the morning. You know all those kind of things. But um, but I we felt the same way. I mean, I have uh, I have I I I'll, I'll use Rose for an example. She's been with me longer than Susan. But I remember Rose and I used to play softball in the early '90s when she was at Albany Med. She was a nurse, and um, she eventually left the med center. She joined us, and she then she got married all three of her kids are now growing up and out of the house and everything, but educated and whatever. But we work through her, you know, all these years and our motto is, you know, taking care of each other and you. And we do, we, yeah. we take it very seriously, we take care of each other. Somebody has a, a death in the family or whatever it is. We, you know, that's what we do. And I, and I think, um, you know, I, I really feel that the patients can feel it. And I, um, but it is, it is nice to create that kind of environment where, because you don't have that kind of control when you're working for the demand, the institution, whatever you want to call it. Um, right. We've all been there, and you meet the frustration in that one person that doesn't treat your patient kindly. You know, right. and you just to kind of right. put up with it, you know, or treat another person kindly, for that matter. Um, right now, we're <clears throat> our doctors are all um, have been commissioned. To, I'm having them all take some high level leadership training, which has to do with being. Oh a- wow. Which is which has to do with being a, a servant leader. Which um, yeah, you know, I through
1: where
0: lead, I have a consultant I work with. I'm sharing his name with you at some point. He's done. A lot, he's terrific. Uh, he could finish my sentences, but I was going to do it myself. But I've already been through all that stuff. And but but it's the best leaders really put their ego aside. The best leaders genuinely care about everyone else ahead of themselves, and that's really what we're trying to engender with our, you know, with our people, you know, and our, 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 our docs, um, you know, as you get bigger, it's more important that everybody's on that same page, right? You can't, you got to get your egos out of the way. Cause that's where, that's where a lot of problems, you know, come with egos and we all we all have a, a, you know, we all grow a little bit of an ego as you go through all this training, you get the, you know, get the crap beat out of you, out of you, you get thick skin, all that <laughs> stuff. Right. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I knew you would do well. I had no doubt.
1: Um, (laughs) Thank you.
0: um, And I I, know you tend to be an overachiever, so you're going to figure this all out. and you're, uh, you're going to be a student of it. You're not know, just going to wing it. So you're going to do it and do it well. So you know, um, I have no doubt you'll be, accept- you know, do exceptionally well. And I'm glad that it's working out for you. I knew you would be, you know. And I was curious to see how you, how you felt. Like I thought you were a little too up, not optim, too optimistic, but uh, you know, was, <laughs> I was you know, too happy. It's definitely daunting. You know, you're going out and opening up checkbooks and doing all this other stuff, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> ordering checks was a whole other
0: thing. You know, and then well, somebody orders yeah. those things like who are? Yeah. how do they show up um but anyway yeah phone numbers and uh, it yeah. and all that yeah. nonsense that you have to have right
1: and then i got so attached to certain phone numbers that they gave me options for <laughs> i decided i wanted like four phone lines
0: yeah 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 well you'll never have enough that's the one thing you learn yeah. so but one of the things i wanted to pick your brain on is i talked a lot about your practice and you you know i know we all know who you are but um i i Wanted to talk to you about your perception on where private equity is going. And you know I did a podcast on that. And um, yeah. I you know it's interesting just to kind of a little background on this. Private well, not private, but um, public equity, public traded markets, entered healthcare about thirty years ago. And it was a terrible failure. I mean, they they bought up practices, they bought up hospital systems and uh, by in most states um practice in medicine has to be done by a physician hospitals can have non for profits and be involved but business people can't own you know a medical practice just like you can't you can't own a law practice right legally because that could be revenue sharing with a non-attorney because you're splitting fees and all this but the you know business world and the legal world uh, figured a workaround called a, an mso and the dentals is a dso and and so they put a management company together and they put together a a, a contract with the practice uh, that and in agreement they agree not to tell the doctors how to practice medicine wink wink you know um we're not going to tell you how to do things we're just going to you know help with the management and all this stuff so. um <clears throat> you know when as I alluded to in my podcast, I mean, there are theoretically potential benefits because let's face a lot of doctors are not good business people, right? Mm-hmm. And they give away the farm and they don't, they give away themselves. You know, that's part of why we get ourselves in trouble because we tend to be too nice sometimes and we tend to, um, but 70 plus percent of those um, public equity arrangements never, really equitized or panned out for shareholders, including the doctors who had vested interest in that. Fast forward 30 years. I've been in this industry for a long time. I've never seen anything like this now. And all of a sudden, there's a lot. Now, private equity, the difference is private equity doesn't have to to report to shareholders, but it's not publicly traded shareholders. So they're not held to the same regulations at the SEC and all this other stuff. So they can they can hide their sins a little bit more, you see. I mean, it's, it's right? I mean it's not it's not a public mm-hmm. record. So why do you why do you think you know pri- private private equities now become interested in plastic surgery? Um,
1: I think you know and of course I have very, very baby infant toddler mm-hmm. knowledge on this. Um, But I think they're everywhere now. I think
0: they're
1: they're everywhere now and they're actually in so many facets of medicine and so many different fields. That was only a matter of time before they came into our field as well. Um, Even though I truly think a lot of medicine is not quite the same as what we do um, and maybe more able to have a more, I don't know, a structured business model. um, Whereas we really are tailoring so many things for each patient, for each person that walks in. And so, but I think they're here to stay. And I think understanding them and understanding, you know, who would benefit from it or who would work well with them is very, very important. And that's still something I'm trying to Um, learn and figure out myself and that's why i've always been so interested every time you've talked to me about it Um, but i think in different areas of medicine and different fields they have shown that they can be successful in running people's practices for me right now the fun actually is running my practice and managing things and learning things for the first time and so i wanted that kind of hands-on i wanted to do that myself
0: Mm mm-hmm I mean, clearly it's a little bit of a difference compared to ten years ago. All of a sudden there's all this interest in I mean, I'm gonna tell you what I think, but, but mm-hmm. I'm curious, like why do you think that they're interested now in plastic surgery? And I'll tell you because I also tell you why I think that we were the last people to go for them to go after in because they've been going after orthopedics. They you know, the dermatology, right? Ophthalmology. Yeah, yeah, ophthalmology,
1: dermatology. dermatology. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's like kind of the only thing that I sort of knew um, going, you know, right, as for what's going on right now. I didn't even realize that we were part of um, this whole private equity world until recently when I realized so many people were talking about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think that there, actually, so I was approached 20 years ago to give a... Uh, a professional opinion as to whether I thought it would work in plastic surgery. And my answer back oh, then, really? I was in my answer back then, actually it was, it was when McCullough had his clinic. That's how it was probably more like 25 years ago. I went down to Birmingham and there was a health South. The CEO is now in jail, but Robert Scricci is his name. Uh, Richard Scricci, I think he, they started buying up surgery centers. But my, my take on it was, you're never going to be successful in plastic surgery because you're dealing with too many egos. Oh. its I mean, you're dealing with – so rolling up a plastic surgery practice is very different than a 10-person ophthalmology practice because it's much more of a plug-and-play model. You can put another ophthalmologist in and pull another ophthalmologist out. Plastic surgery, our practices are all so different. You're dealing with egos, and the problem is if you've got someone who's a very successful – facial plastic surgery and plastic surgery, too much of it is laying out of hands. So they don't, they don't want to have one indispensable doctor. Doesn't fit the model. Well, I believe that the reason they've entered it now, and that's why I think plastic surgery was the last group for them to go after. But I believe that were the reason they've entered it now is there's this rapid growth at about Fifteen percent per year of the non-surgical, and they, and that is growing, and it's projected to grow until twenty thirty. So there's a growth curve. Okay, I showed that in my. There's a growth curve, and there's all kinds of people doing it. So it is a ripe market for consolidation, and a lot of plastic surgeries have big skincare pieces and non-surgical practices and. So, cause, and I know, cause I've talked to a number of them, they're not not really interested in the one person plastic surgery group. Yeah. No that's matter.
1: what I've heard. Like in general, it doesn't matter what
0: field. No, it is. Because if, if Dr. Smith gets sick, that model shot. <laughs> so now again, they can go after, as you know, someone who has a big brand
1: because mm-hmm. they
0: can leverage that brand and skincare and that sort of thing. And, we know, you know, people that they've gone after after along those lines. Um, so, when you were you were involved in, in a practice where you know they came in and whatever, when did you find out like that this was a this was happening because the practice that you work in?
1: Um, I would say that along the timelines of what I expected to, I found out later than I thought. I like in other words, retrospectively, was- would have wanted to find yeah. out about it. So,
0: um, a letter of intent was in probably signed and, you know, you didn't know about it. And then one day it was, Hey, by the way, this is happening kind of thing.
1: Maybe I actually, to be totally honest, I didn't think, um, well, many things in medicine, I don't think are as transparent sometimes, especially for younger generations. And so to be honest, I didn't hear about it until someone specifically told me about it. And I actually was completely blindsided. I had no idea. I barely knew anything about private equity. However, I had heard of dermatology and ophthalmology, specifically from some of my um, ophthalmology mm-hmm. friends um, that have told me about it. And so, in passing, and so I kind of had a idea in the back of my head what that all was like, without um, really knowing much. And I felt like, retrospectively, I found out quite late.
0: Mm-hmm. Quite late. Do you? So again, I, I have opinions because I've got a lot of experience. Like I said, I've probably kissed twenty private equity toads. Um,
1: toads, um, toads. They became princes.
0: Well, they certainly uh, <laughs> there's, there. There have been a couple of princes. I, the what I have learned is every single every single PE deal or arrangement is different. Yes, and yeah. and um, I can see that. And I do believe there are a lot of situations where it's not good for the team um mm-hmm. there so do you believe well after so w- once you found out how did things like because there's two ways pe and helps comes together it's like some they some PEs come in just buy the practice right mm-hmm. some of them have uh, the um partners take equity in the big thing
1: mm-hmm. some
0: of them uh and ones i've talked to that are very we're very you know have are willing to put options and stock options in for all the key people and the, the doctors and all that other stuff, and that's actually something to me that I think would work and can work because if everybody, the problem is as entity gets as an entity gets bigger and bigger, bigger, who can buy it? Who could right? But if you can put something, so you know, this this has happened in the corporate world, you know, giving people stock and stock options, everybody wins as the company grows, right? But I also feel if it's, if it's only a one-way thing where a senior person walks away and everybody else is kind of holding the bag, it, you know, it's, it's not, it's not ideal after you found out, um, because private equity makes money two ways, either they help grow the business. Okay. Or they cut expenses. Both of those hit the bottom line. Right. What did you feel any changes?
1: Um, so, you know, honestly, I left pretty soon after, um, no, actually I was there for a few months and nothing had really changed yet. Okay. Um, but I feel like obviously the goal is to grow everyone's practices. And that was something that was, um, sort of stated and promised. And the goal probably also is to cut the bottom dollar, which is why they were going to help manage a lot of things, which would then. You know, each individual practice instead of spending however much on certain HR or whatever other things. um, um, Yeah, you know, um, they would cut that. Um, And so I think it sounds really great in concept. I think it kind of also depends on each person's uh, personality and also um, the point in your career that you're at. And the trajectory of your career is going to be very, very different if you're. Um, almost going to retire if you're just starting or if you're somewhere in the middle. And Mm -hmm. so for that, I think that that is the main difference on um, different groups and how it would play into whether or not it was, you know, fit you. Mm -hmm. But I I do think that so much goes into, um, and again, I don't know that much about it, so I don't want to be, you know, like the expert on this, but I feel like so much goes into um, figuring out what practices are important to acquire and valuation and all those things that I don't think is a last minute decision. And so in a group, I think the most important thing is transparency from the beginning so that everyone can figure out the best course of action for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I was lucky that even though I didn't feel like it was you know, very early that I was told that I was still able to make a lot of decisions that I thought was great for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I finally came up with the decision that I wanted to really try my own thing. And I didn't, you know, yes, I've only been in practice for eight years and there are probably many years left. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted, you know, the next year right after the eight to be something that was mine. Mm -hmm. And so, um, since I felt strongly about that, for me it wasn't. I, I didn't want to, you know, have any terms to how long I would stay if I were to try out that. Um, mm-hmm. I I actually really love trying different things and new things, but if it was a commitment that was, you know, another five years, seven years, I'm not yeah. sure that I wanted to do that. I want. I've been wanting to have my you own did. practice for a while. It's yeah. just that previously. Prior to all this, you know, I was also happy. So, right.
0: yeah, it was just, it was easy to say, easy to do what you're doing. Yeah. You know, the bills yeah. are getting I, paid. Yeah.
1: You know, <laughs> I, um, the best part of, you know, kind of my practice previously was that it truly was my practice. My patients were my own yeah. and I got to care for them in the way that I wanted to, even though the office wasn't my home, you know, this is now my home. Um, And I couldn't control certain aspects. I really felt like I had a lot of autonomy and it didn't affect patient care at all. I -hmm. was a little apprehensive that with more um, outside control, would that change how I like to run things? Mm -hmm. And since I wanted to try my hand at running my own thing and my own business, it seemed fitting for me to go ahead and try that at this point
0: makes perfect sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense. So it wasn't like you had like, just all of a sudden, a really bad experience and say, I'm out of here.
1: No, no, no. It was like, the time I was just shocked that it was gonna happen. And then I felt like, you know, depending on what point you are at your career. um, You know, if someone is getting approached for a buyout or things like that, I mean, we as physicians, we don't otherwise have any like, you know, inherent Value. Yes, value. Yeah. I do not want, want to say that. Well, what right I
0: always say, you know, whatever. So I it's
1: say. different um, yeah. depending on what stage of life you're at.
0: Yeah. But if well, that's
1: the case, that's great if somebody found value in me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, well, like I said, you know, if we don't create a business okay, we've just created a job and a job has no value, right? So, so I would encourage you to take a look at this as a business. It's something you can equitize at some point.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we have share values and all this other stuff that uh, has real dollars associated with it. And, yeah. you know, um, so, and to me, I, I do find that part of, of what we do uh, fascinating, adding value, knowing that I'm not just you know, punching out an income but growing and adding value for all of our people because that's how everybody wins. You know, if if you can Mm -hmm. create value for everybody. Um, So yeah, it sounds like you had, you know, what, what is your understanding? Like, so, so, so if you ran into one of the younger members um, at our Academy and they said, Hey, I know you've had, you know, Grace, you've had experience with this. Like tell me in two or three sentences, like what's your understanding of, private equity and what's your understanding of how they, you know, come in and what and were what they trying to accomplish anyway?
1: I would have to say, I think a lot of it is they are a business. Okay. I mean, we are businesses too, but they really are a business. And so clearly they want to have financial gain overall, whether it's for its constituents or for the, you know, the larger company. Um, I think it's important to kind of also be able to self-reflect and figure out what um, type of, you know, practice you want to have. Um, Starting from the very beginning, it was always clear to me that I really did want to have my own practice at some point, but it was so wonderful to stay in a practice where I was asked to and, you know, trained and my mentors were nearby. And, you know, it's, it's a very warm and fostering environment for the beginning of a career. Um, and it was perfect for me. Mm-hmm. However, I never lost sort of that, like little glimmer of hope that, you know, one day I'll have my own place. I'll be mm-hmm. able to pick my own tiles, sign mm-hmm. my lease, you know, on payroll. And so I think that's not though for everybody. Not everybody wants that. When you're starting out- no, I, don't,
0: I don't disagree. I mean, I. You know. The reality is, I would say most, you'll see a greater percentage of people doing facial plastic surgery because you tend to attract a little bit more of an entrepreneurial person or even plastic surgery. But I would say most physicians don't, they would rather just show up and right. have a very right. efficient right. schedule do surgery. Right. right. Like, well, right. Honest, I mean, in my next life, that's what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I think you're going to be flying planes and like, yeah. you know, making
0: yeah. wine. So right.
1: I don't know about that. Yeah. um but i also think you know for someone who's just starting out having a very stable um job lined up with patients mm-hmm. with marketing um with everything sort of pre-packaged that has been tried you know mm-hmm. by other practices in this group or whatever could be very beneficial um to at least enhance your experience in the first few years mm-hmm. and so i I think that that's a great option for people. So how would you? Um, I feel like right now, I or when I started, I saw a couple options. One, I would join someone. Mm-hmm. One, I would exactly like you said earlier in the podcast, hang a shingle, you know. Yeah. Or I would, you know, maybe join the department at an Academic Center. Like right. those were kind of the three options.
0: I can't believe really- people I've interviewed who went down thought they're going to do academics and end up. On their own, yeah, me included. Yeah. By the yeah.
1: way, yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought those were the three options, right? Yeah. And um, hanging your own shingle and trying to figure everything out when you're still trying to figure out how you're going to do a certain surgical maneuver or how you, you know, how you're going to even get patients is quite daunting. And so then it's either joining somebody or joining a department. Okay. But now there's this option where you can join a group but a lot of things are set up for you. Like you may already have your own designated patient care coordinator for example. There's marketing in place and someone's there almost to tell you but to really guide you on, you know, making some videos for Instagram and then doing this and then doing that and they're providing um kind of the resources for it. That's for someone starting out. That's a that's a great opportunity as well.
0: So let's say you're, you know, again, you, you run into someone, you've been out 10 years, you've got some experience. How would you describe, you know, someone says to you, Grace, I know you've been around. You're like, what, what is, what's going on? If someone who's been through practice for years, like what's going on with private equity? How do you, you know, can you explain to me what they do with practices? How would you describe that?
1: I'm not exactly sure, but the way I see it is they try to grow practices, um, consolidate costs, and increase financial gain for whoever is invested mm-hmm. in their group.
0: Okay, fair enough. I mean, do you think with it's a- the
1: goal of yeah. potentially selling to another company or, mm-hmm. you know, like offering their shares for like, public offering or things like that in order for the shareholders or whoever is vested to benefit further so that they could be rewarded for having joined.
0: Yeah. So what I've seen, so, and well, maybe another question is like, say you're Dr. Smith and you're in um, Atlanta. Okay. Do you think it's a reasonable strategy to say, I'm going to grow my, Practice to get to a point where I can partner or do something with private equity. Does that make sense to do?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, given the changing landscape of medicine and with um, you know kind of the prevalence of private equity, kind of in all these different facets of even our field, um, I think that's that's reasonable. Because regardless, you're not hurting yourself if you're growing your practice. And you're not hurting yourself depending on, you know, like if you um, bring in junior partners, colleagues, you know, different things, you're going to have a very collegial environment, Mm -hmm. a very wonderful kind of practice growth that extends beyond just the, you know, old model of one person, one office, Mm -hmm. one way of doing things. Um, So it's both like sharing knowledge, um, but also growing yourself potentially to a point where you can, Further monetize and have value, whereas previously our value truly was just whatever we did the surgeries we do, the procedures, the patients we see.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: but I'm not sure we, that that should be your only goal for
0: growing. Or that should be that,
1: you know, that should be your only compass, I guess.
0: No, but I, I think that we all, I think physicians are terrible about. Stick Like, look, companies have taken care, taken advantage of us for years. Okay, they've explored yeah. We do, we do clinical trials, we do research, and they monetize it. You know, and we just get a, we get a little ad boy, you know, a girl, like a little gold star. I mean, the Pulse dye laser. Okay, is a laser. I, I did it. I ran this vascular birthmark clinic. I did all this, and so one day, you know, I don't want to say the company's name, but I, I published a study on using it for bruising, right. And all of a sudden, they're marketing it for it, and you know they they monetize my efforts, which I got an attaboy boy for. You know, I got a you know a nice little entry in my CV. You know, so I do think that it's wise for physicians to stick up for themselves and uh, look at it. I, I've seen on one side, okay, and I think one of the reasons the private equity PE got is getting has gotten a bad name is because they come in, they take the entity, they wring the profit out of it. Squeeze expenses. I mean, I've read, you know, where, you know, dermatologists are told you can't use Hylinex any longer because it's too expensive, you know, to dissolve HA. So we need a more generic form. And, you know, that is truly corporate practice of medicine. That's somebody telling you how to do things.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've also learned because I've had a lot of different businesses and, and equity in different things. The only reason to give up any equity to a partner is... If that partner can truly add value, you don't give up equity just to get money. That makes sense. I mean, you bring a partner in one day, you wake up and tell them something's worth 10 times what you thought it was worth. If you're, if you've already given up 40% of it, you know, you'd be a lot wealthier if you had all of it, right? So the goal is to keep the equity as tight as possible, as close as possible. That's just a really good business strategy. I learned Mm. from a lot of my HBS guys, you know, they're really smart, Um, but On the other side of things, if bigger business or you can bring a partner in where you can pull your equity and a place where you can maybe buy up other medical spas together and all the players, you know, all the doctors, all the key people are truly vested in that. Um, I'll give an example, you know, um, uh, Aspen Dental, you probably heard of them, right?
1: But, no, I haven't. So there,
0: they they were you know, in a private equity deal. It was started by a they had a platform someone started a platform and one of the people came into my office, she's in early, you know, early she's like fifty-two years You know, she just retired and she's, you know, was in Florida and she moved up to our area and bought a big, beautiful home and whatever. And she was talking to Susan, who's our COO, and she said, Um, she goes, Oh, you just retired here and she goes, Yeah, she well, what did you do? She goes, well, you know, I worked for Aspen Dental, but you know, I was on in the early days and um we, uh, you know, uh, I got $2,500 worth of stock. And, um, you know, that's worth, you know, a lot of money now. So if things are, I think that, and I think where where I think that P's gotten a bad name and should get a bad name, is that one or two people benefit and everybody else loses on the deal, you know, because ultimately, private equity or, you know, any, they are beholding shareholders, but it depends on who are the shareholders. So, you know, I do have a lot of insight because I've, I, like I said, I've, I've peeled the, uh, the skin back on so many of these onions and, <laughs> and some of them are where just one person sells out and, you know, they do really well and the rest of the team is, you know, left holding things. But so I do think it can be done and, and it all depends on who's, you know, if the team is able to have equity versus just, you know, um, someone selling out because it, it, I, I have seen that where, you know, senior partner just sells out and walks away. And that's not necessarily good because I don't know that it's, you know, the problem I see it. And there also has to be a well-respected physician close to the decision making. And I both know that there's a, there's a right of path. There's something we go through as brothers and sisters that, you know, it's like when I get a medical, we used to get a medical director on the phone. You know, my team would be like, how come like I've been fighting and fighting. You get on the phone with a guy for two seconds because we have a conversation, like, you know, what would you do if this is, you know? Um, Anyway, I was just curious as to what, you know, what what your take was on. What questions do you have for me as as you, you know, maybe whether it has nothing to do with that, it has to do with, you know, your practice. You know, I I love, um, I've made every mistake out there, so I love to share.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess, I mean, just going along the same lines of private equity, where do you see it going in the next five years, 10 years? Do you see it like, growing to where that's everyone's end goal? Or do you see it um, sort of, I don't know, plateauing? Like what are your thoughts with all your experience and kind of Um, seeing it in early days versus, you know, courting them recently and stuff?
0: So here's what I believe is going to happen. Surgeons are going to be fine Um, because they have a skill that you can't duplicate. Surgeons are also not going to be rolled up. The only surgeons that will be involved successfully in the models are those who have big med spa um, uh, entities because it doesn't make sense to roll up to bring a surgeon just to bring a surgeon in for the sake of bringing a surgeon in. it's it's like hurting cats right um <laughs> but, no it's true i mean it just absolutely is try to get you know a bunch of surgeons to go along well you see the me- the egos we have at the meeting not me but you know um, uh people get bent out of shape because they're the first speaker right after lunch because i mean it's just n- nonsense but um, I do believe the industry is going to continue to grow. It's going to grow rapidly, you know, fifteen percent per year. Um, I do believe that we, as surgeons, as the—I mean, let's face it—those, especially people like are doing around, you have you, you're about as highly trained as they come. We have to embrace this non-surgical market, or we're going to be left left out to lunch a little bit. Because, and it can't be just Dr. Pang injecting patients. You have got to leverage yourself in a way because. So, for me, like I, I you know, our, our med spa is, is pretty big. And, and um, you know, we're in the top 1% of the country as far as our volume. We did, we figured out we did over 55,000, wow. 57,000 Botox injections in the last 10 years. So, we're, we're pretty big, um, pretty big force, but that is our primary care network. And if we don't embrace this as surgeons, I think we're missing the boat because everybody and their brothers out there talking to your patients out of surgery. You know, you don't need this. Uh, you know, you we'll do a liquid facelift, We'll do this. We'll do thread lifts. All this nonsense that that I don't believe works, and you know, we're 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 going to feel that. Be now, listen. There's no shortcut to a, a really good deep plane facelift, right? We know that, and you're going to get those patients, but um, there there because of what has happened with the Affordable Care Act, more and more physicians are finding uh, insurance based. Medicine, traditional medicine, unappealing, so they're leaving that. To that's why there's you know there's a, whatever you know, IV therapy, you know, all this whatever you know, vitamins and I mean all these clinics are popping up. You know weight loss clinics, all fee for service kind of, and they just happen to spill into our field, right? I mean everybody. Yes. I mean if you know, people didn't even know they wanted to be a nurse practitioner, and now we have them, your competition right down the street.
1: Yeah. Right. Yep. And so yeah.
0: we yeah. are going to, I, I think we we cannot become complacent, but I, I, my prediction is it's gonna grow. It's gonna continue to consolidate. Um, We cannot compete on pricing like, you know, Groupon and trying to give Botox away to get patients in the door. I have to, you know, work on our value. But I really believe that, and I'm gonna encourage you to do this, really start to build and grow your non-surgical um, mm-hmm. as well, because that's gonna feed your surgical practice. People still, if they have a choice, would rather go to Dr. Peng than you know, the you know the PA that's been doing this for, you know, six months now. But that's where I think it's gonna go. I don't think it's gonna go away. Um, and I think part of it is because P has now been attracted to our specialty because of the non surgical. I don't think it's because of the surgical.
1: I see. That's um, interesting. I never, I mean, I've never even thought about that.
0: Think about it. You know, mm-hmm. think about it—a huge growth of non-surgical. It makes it more appealing, and, and and so they're more likely to go after. I believe consolidation. You know, the the you know, three or four chain med spas that are run by an NP—they're doing six, seven, eight million dollars. You know, um, but they do like having surgeons who have a large non-surgical practice because it gives more credibility. So, but I think that's why they're Either. Yeah. I mean, so back in uh, 15 years ago, you know, we opened our med spa and we were doing very well. There were people like Kimberly Butterwick, who's a dermatologist in the West Coast, and she, um, you know, gla- um, Mitch Goldman, he was, they were doing really well with their med spas because you had a well respected physician attached to that model. The med spas that were popping up back then, they were dying on the vine. Well, now, it's more acceptable, you know. I remember 15 years ago when people would come, we'd see them at health fairs, and they're like, "I'm not putting that po- you know poison in my face," meaning Botox. Now you got 22 year olds like, and not only do they want to do it, but they want to do it online you know, on an app. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to come, they don't want to call your office. If so, and um, so, that market has grown tremendously, and I think that's really why you're seeing you know PE attracted to what we're doing now. But my advice to you would be. You gotta work on that. Continue to grow that. And as you outgrow your space, add because that will create value to what you have. Make sense? That's yeah.
1: Yes. I'm gonna be thinking about this there until our next podcast. <laughs>
0: there you go. So anyway, um uh, I, I do appreciate you taking the time. Um,
1: no, thank you so much. Thank I but uh, so I, really much.
0: It. I it, what keeps me going with this is that I run into our younger people at the meetings and they thank me for doing it and I yeah. I, I stopped doing it for a while. I ran into so many people that were at the meeting and they were like, thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate yeah. it. I mean, talks about these things at the meeting. So yeah, um, yeah, no.
1: But also just personally, thank you for always supporting me. And, you know, even you're when I told you part. I was going to start my own practice and yeah. you know, nothing awesome. but positive. And yeah. the last couple of meetings I saw you at every single time yeah. I see you, you're like, mm-hmm. how's it going? You know, it's great. Right.
0: And so, Listen, I mean, I, I think that, where we as physicians, a lot of us have failed is letting other people make decisions. And, and I do think, I think the right PE model where physicians are in charge makes good sense to me because you can have an economy of scale, you know, yeah. at a very different level. I mean, you know, our practice, we have three full-time people working on marketing. I never wow. could do that years ago. And we're actually adding a fourth, I could, we have an economy of scale. You know, we have, we have a lot of people feeding it. So then my schedule is a little soft at one point. It's not like, oh my gosh, we get, this. but, but those economies scale things. And by the way, when you do that, even from an accounting process point of view, the level of sophistication of our accounting processes are so much better than they were years ago, because we have enough people feeding that, you know? So yeah. there, you know, it, there can be synergy where everybody can be part of the team, you know? And if everybody can be part of the team and everybody can win, then I I think those things can be very, very productive. So anyway, I'm going to give you some stuff to think about then. All right? I
1: know. Not right. a lot to think about.
0: All right, Grace. Talk to you